listening to Around Comics. You are listening to Around Comic, episode 452. Once again, it's Thursday, and we're back with another live episode of AC. Uh, and we're joined by a very special guest this week. Once again, we're doing... Re- you have your reverb on. I don't have any reverb on. What are you talking about? I ha- Like I have a sound pedal? Yeah. For the reverb? No, some, <laughs> if that's somebody's... So I'm getting feedback or something from... from uh, from someone else but um you can point at me i'm sure it's me it's probably andy we have a guest and he has terrible audio setup but that's not why he's here he's here to talk about a very influential comic this is once again another episode of under the influence with our dear friend andy parks what's happening andy how are you sir hello boys what's what's up if if i am reverbing i could put on headphones to fix that problem that might be a good idea because I can't. Yeah, do that. I have to lose the hat. I won't be as cute. Oh, oh. Well, while, while Andy is Whoops. while Andy is getting his uh, his headphones, I just want to remind folks that Andy is was one of the first what we call friends of the program. Like going all the way back, like two thousand six. We uh, he was wow. the very first comic book professional to reach out to the show and say that we didn't suck too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and that was the last now, time I, anyway. now, now my head is too shiny. Hold on. <laughs> He's got a buff. He make up. Just a buff his head. We need a powder. Powder. Yeah, powder. Powder's head. Okay. I believe I'm ready <laughs> to perform. You look now you look you look intimidating. I like it. <laughs> kind of have that Walter White look about you. <laughs> nice. Looking good. Right? I get that. I just told a friend the other day when I go to Dragon Comic Con, I'm going again this year. It's been a while. Uh, people point. As I'm walking through the hall, and they go, "Oh, MythBusters guy, great!" Because <laughs> they, they, they don't think I'm him; they think I'm in cosplay because everybody's in cosplay. Or sometimes, I was walking through a hotel lobby once at like 2 a.m., and it was not empty; it was packed full of partying cosplayers. Mm-hmm. And I was carrying a pizza, and a guy comes up and says, "Oh, it's fantastic! Can I take a photo?" Walter and I go, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know what the hell he was. And he thought I had a prop pizza and I was Walter White because I was going to throw it on a roof. It was now, just, me walking, just me walking around with a pizza. Do you hate cosplayers as much as I do now that they've overrun every convention? <laughs> no. And I, you can't walk. In general, into big I am a fan sword. of whatever brings more people into this world. But there are the, the people who take up too much space. That's not great. And then we got two generations of the annoying cosplayers, you know, the uh, the Jack Sparrows for a while, like Sean. Oh, no. And then the, uh-huh. the Daredevil who knocks into things because he's blind, which is stupid because Daredevil isn't really blind. He's got to really, <laughs> knock it off. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's taking it a little too 
too far. The, Jack Sparrow one sounds like a nightmare. You know, just oh. the thought of someone being like, oh, well, wouldn't it be great to just be around this character all the time? Yeah. And it's like, actually, no, I <laughs> please yeah. do not do not come near me with that. I think I was yeah. ruined one year. Uh, and I just, I've been scarred ever since when uh, yeah. people, I think they were dressed up as Al and Peg Bundy and they brought a fucking couch on wheels and they rolled oh, it yeah. through the convention and they rolled it oh. through the after parties and they rolled it everywhere. And it's just like, really? Like, we get it. We, you that's know, that's a convention. Drop the bit. You can yeah. drop yeah. the bit, you know? Yeah. yeah. That, that's all in. They reused it the next year for The Simpsons, though. <laughs> I do I do have some disdain for those people who take up too much real estate. But in general, I've tried to embrace so going back to the guy I get accused of cosplaying. Adam Savage, I watch his uh, YouTube a lot. Mm-hmm. And he had a great chat. Uh he was answering a question. He does that sometimes answering Patreon questions where he talked about meeting fans at cons and he described he would do it. They did a whole tour once. And so after the tour, they'd sign. And so it's like a con, but you're just meeting these people for like an hour. And he said it was exhausting and he, he was really sick of it. And then he said, you know what? I'm going to lean into this. I'm going to turn it from being an obligation to an engagement. And so he started really chatting with people, um, leaning into what they were wearing. Like, oh, what are you know? He said it became a delight and no longer was I dreading it. And it went by much quicker. And yeah, the interactions took a little longer, but nobody seemed upset. So I try to embrace that attitude now at cons. Whenever I find myself getting grumpy, I'll, I'll just look at the guy in the weird cosplay and say, what are you? What's going on? Let's chat. Let's chat. So. <laughs> well, I love, you still do the, um, uh, the sketch for sketch with the, uh, uh, with the kids, right? If yeah, I try to. That has to happen organically, so it doesn't happen all the time or at every con. But yeah, if I see a kid who's who seems like they might be into art, I ask them if they want to trade me a drawing, and uh, so I will do one for them. And I give them my paper, and they can pick any of my art tools, and they do one for me, and then we take a photo. It is the no, coolest thing. That's nice. And it's, I love it's, that. It's, I have a, quite a collection. And the only times they haven't gone well is when they were not organic, when the parents had heard about it and they came up and yeah. then it's a I have to have a sense about the kid, you know, that they're going to be into it. Nice. Well, speaking of being into things, uh, we asked you on the show uh, to talk about a comic that you were into. <laughs> Uh, the uh, the format that we're that we're kind of exploring here and under the influence is to have a guest on and to bring one comic book to the table to talk about that wasn't an influence to them uh, a comic that was either important to them maybe the comic that that made you want to be in the comic industry maybe it's a comic that changed the way that you thought about comics and you have brought one to the table that by the way the first two comics that we've done this with have been like super extra sized oh really it, it, oh yeah yeah pie for, for your buck oh yeah pie for yeah, picked yeah. daredevil 181 so the you know oh, yeah. double-sized issue um you picked a gargantuan comic yeah but it's awesome um go ahead and tell us about your comic and uh, and why you picked it um, I was kind of wondering when you asked me this, um, if people were going to pick things that influenced them, like once they already love comics, but this influenced them and how they wanted to make them themselves. That's not what mine is necessarily. That's fine. It's kind of embedded in my DNA of how I understand comics. But 
it's from a time way before I ever dreamt of doing comics. I looked it up. This comic came out when I was nine years old. I assume I had it off the newsstand. All I know is that between the time I was nine and 13, uh, when I lost interest in comics, uh, this was the comic that I always had in my drawer. So it was the only one from that era that I held on to. And then when I rediscovered comics in junior high, um, I dug it out of the drawer and went, oh yeah, this thing really is still awesome. And I, I, I hate to brag, but I, it's, it is, it's, it's objectively awesome. There's an Alex <laughs> Batman story in it for Christ's sake. Right. Uh, of course. Yeah. And we're talking, you know, for the audio folks out there, we've got it up on the, on the video feed, but it's detective comics. Number four forty two. uh, death flies, the haunted sky. Cover by neither Toth or a uh, guy who was doing a lot of covers back then, Neil Adams, but by Jim Aparo in what I think is his heyday. Oh, it's like awesome. Mid seventies. I don't dig him as much in the late eighties, nineties, but I think he's really awesome in this period. So, so this was a book that you said, you know, influenced you more about getting into comics and just the, your love of comic books, not so much your work, but yeah. I mean, Alex, Alex, I can't imagine anything with Alex Toth didn't influence your work to some degree. It, yeah. And like, if you look, by the way, did you guys notice the little fronts piece thing is by um, Pat Broderick? It did not. Oh, yeah. this, oh, that. Isn't that cool? I think before he was working, I think he probably was in touch with Archie trying to get work. Ah, okay. And I have been really negligent. Um, I've met several people associated with this comic, and Archie and Walt are the only two that I've talked to about it, Um, which is dumb. But I met um, uh, Jerry Robinson. He drew the, the backup near the end of the issue. Yeah. I met Pat Broderick. I didn't talk to them about it. Stupid. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. Toth's sensibility, I think, really rubbed off on me. I mean, there's a... Can I go to a specific page? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So it is the third page, I believe. Yeah. So it's page three and four. Page three and four of that story. You were just on them. Yep. That sequence of Batman falling, oh, that silent, was good. silently yeah. coming out of the water tower, so awesome. stuck with me. It's that did something to my young mind that has never left me. Like what is possible with the visual medium, um, how the artist can manipulate time, I, that just blew me away. The the cape as he's falling and the way he hits the thing, and then those four panels where he comes out. It's just brilliant. Yeah, I, this was definitely that sequence of him falling. Like, I'm looking at these little tiny drawings of Batman and how he's twisting him in the air, you know, as yeah. an acrobat before he, you know, he's trying to get his feet in front of him. So he crashes into this water tower. And it was just like that little thing. And then in the next panel on the next page, where it's just the hole in the top of the of the water tower, I don't know what it is about that. That's the best like hole I've ever seen drawn in a comic book. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like it's just so simple. It's so, mm-hmm. it's so, you know, kind of simple in its design, but it's so like, it really tells a story in that little tiny panel. I'm mm-hmm. just like, wow, yeah. 
uh, feels very amazing. modern. Like it feels it very like you would see that now, you know, whereas I think 1974, not quite as much of that is going on in superhero comics of like, Oh, also just like, I personally love the machinations necessary to get Batman falling off a world war one biplane. <laughs> it's just like a real, like what's awesome about comics of yeah. like, yeah, all right, we're, we'll, we'll make it happen. You want to draw Batman in world war one planes? We can, we'll come up with a story. And it's, right. look cool. it. it's so, it's so funny. It's so funny you said that because as I'm reading this, I'm like, I wonder if like Archie kind of reached out to Alex and was like, okay, I want you to do a Batman story in this book. What do you want to draw? And he's like, well, I like World War II air biplanes. And, you know, and it's like, all right, I got, I got you. I got it. I got I'm gonna draw. Yeah, I'll write you a story about World War II biplanes. And about four local uh airplane restore restoring guys and they want to start a small business and one of them is kind of a dick about it <laughs> it is it it's is a ridiculous a, story yeah. <laughs> can i but it, but can i tell a would you forgive me if i tell a tell story that's not mine and i've heard third hand that's why, show, yeah. no. that's why you're on the show. No, it's why you're on the show. It was actually one um, one of my questions what? was it, what's your favorite tell story? <laughs> so story has it that so you weren't sure how to say toth. I always struggle with Mark Evanier. Evanier, Evanier, Evanier. Yeah. Evanier. So Evanier. Let's say Mark Evanier and some friends manage a visit to Toth in the I'm gonna say late eighties, maybe. And he's already in kind of his bathrobe phase, you know, in his uh, place in, in L.A. And they chat, and he shows them some stuff. And he eventually shows them this um, airplane army or Air Force story that he'd done for one of the Army at War or whatever books for D.C. And they've never seen it before. And they're like, oh, what the, what is this? So, oh, those bastards, they screwed me up. <laughs> Well, gee, it's amazing. Would you consider selling the originals? I don't think. I don't know. I uh, they talk, and finally he says, "I guess I'd sell it uh, three hundred bucks for the whole thing," which was then a pretty good sum for just probably ten pages. Well, they these are kids, you know, teenagers, early twenties. They, they they go home, they wrestle up some money, they got a way to divvy up the pages. They call them back up. They go over a couple days later. Alex is talking and there's no, there's no pages. And they're like, after like a half hour chat, Evander says, so we got the cash if you want to, you know, get those. And he says, well, after you guys called, I went and looked at it again. And I got so angry about the whole situation that I tore it up. It's over there in the oh. trash. Oh, <laughs> so, so that's half the story. The other half of the story is Joe Kubert editing those books. And he's had some issues with Toth. And uh, as I understand it, Kubert always saw Toth as kind of a spoiled baby. You know, he, he didn't like his antics. So he calls Toth and says, look, I got this script for an airplane job. I know you do a good job at it. <laughs> it's scripted at nine pages. 
I want nine pages. I know your shit, Alex. <laughs> if I get back eight pages, if I get back <laughs> 10 pages, I'm putting it in the fucking envelope and then you're getting it back. You're not getting paid. Oh, come on. You know, you know, it's great. I, time goes by a month later, he gets a package from LA, opens it up, 10 pages, puts it in the envelope, <laughs> ships it back to television. And that's the end of it. That's amazing. So, to me, <laughs> it does illustrate Toth's famous difficulty. Other people would say, "Oh, Toth was oppressed by the man again." You know, we we had but, I think Archie. Sorry to cut you off again. Well, I, I think saying, we, we had a lot of patience with Alex. Oh, I'm sure we we had Steve Rude on years and years ago, and we talked a little bit about the famous Steve Rude Alex Toth uh, critique. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've talked to Omin about Toth because he was famous about, you know, if you would write him, he would write back and mm -hmm. and he would he would critique stuff and he would be brutally honest. But you know, I think he I think he did a lot of favors for people that they may not have realized at the time. I mean, the guy is a master storyteller. We'll go back yeah. to the pages that you, that you pointed out. And I'm, I'm looking at those and just like, man, he may not have been the greatest draftsman in the world. He definitely, he was a less is more, but God, could he tell a story? Yeah. And you can see, I think, and not that we ever rise to this level, but Phil Hester and I both enjoy art that, does the job with the least possible mm -hmm. amount of lines. We don't like noodling. We like bold, simple images. And we were both raised on things like this that we love so much. I was going to actually ask you that because, you know, your, your longstanding collaboration with Phil, obviously, and and I assume that he was also a fan of, of Alex Toth. And uh, is that, do you think that's a reason why you guys worked so well together for so long? That you both yeah, had Yeah, that that's a big part of it. We, he talks about this a lot. We we actually, in mechanical terms, we move our hands the same way. Like when we make marks, it looks the same. Oh, look at you. Nice. It's one of my um, favorite pages of you guys. Excellent. Yeah. But we also had very similar sensibilities, although I like Neil Adams a lot better than he does. <laughs> um, he's more a simplicity. And you know what? A lot of guys say they love Alex Toth, but then they don't carry it forward in their work. And Phil really does, I think. Um, so, yeah, we are both drawn to this kind of simplicity. Well, uh, Salas, you're flipping through the pages. Do you think, if you go back, do you think the car that he rides in with the woman that he saves is supposed to be the Batmobile, but Toth just, like, didn't draw it like the Batmobile? <laughs> because I'm like, wow, they're in, like, a sports car. What Bat Batman has a car. Like, why wouldn't it well, just no. be the Batman? <laughs> well, it says here too. It's like later the two race northward in the car of dot 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 <laughs> Eve Dancer. <laughs> like a red. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like okay, I guess I'll we'll just have to work that in. I was like, uh, I'm not trying the fucking Batmobile. You're getting a link. You're getting a goddamn convertible Lincoln. That's. <laughs> I wonder. Alex clearly lettered this. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder, like, what of Archie's script was written exactly yeah. by the time Alex was done. I bet he took some liberties. Did you well, ever did you ever work with Archie Goodwin? No. I was fortunate enough to meet him and have a meal with him a couple times. 
And it's, I got to tell him what he meant to me and tell him about this Manhunter story that we'll get to in a while. Um, uh, man, I, never I love this this mm-hmm. page of the plane shooting up like the 1970s, like cool dude bar in his, uh, in his, in his, in his, his pad. Yeah. Is it such a great image of like, yeah, that's right. There's going to be biplanes in this story, <laughs> in this story. <laughs> right off the bat. And I remember as a kid being so struck by how simple the faces were on that first page. Yes. Like the guy, when he's saying, Oh my God, look how simple. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and let's talk about let's talk about the the intro page, the the death flies, the haunted sky, and oh. the use of the cape to you know for the Batman. What a brilliant opening page! The use of everything, though. I mean, yeah, right? the shadow with Batman's hand, the 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 bat cape or cable that he's using to sort of swing in on. You know, he uses everything to tell the story and and to sort of you know graphically to just. Uh, point you where he wants you to, to look and it's so much uh that you know is lost especially you know in the 80s and 90s comics i think changed so much from this kind of simple storytelling to you know as you call it noodling and just so much overdraft drafting just for yeah. you know because you can kind of thing and i think he famously you know talked about that a bit of just like you know it, it was becoming sort of narcissism uh of art in in comic books and not storytelling and he was such a you know uh proponent of just like storytelling everything is about the story right yeah i don't think i've ever thought about it before he sets up that water tower on the splash that's the same surface he's going to crash into in a minute yeah right there right (laughs) colored the same so you see it yeah 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 because there it is it's there on every page. Mm-hmm. So cool. So you were, you I do, were go ahead. I was just going to say, I do laugh though, as the, as it, as the story goes on, like the word balloons just get more and more condensed. Yeah. And, and like by the last page, it's just, you can barely see the art. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many word balloons. It's just I'll like, be we honest, finish- as a nine year old, there were there are images that are still burned into my brain, but I'm not sure I ever, read every word of it when I was nine because it just gets, yeah. <laughs> it gets to the end. It's like, we got a page to explain yeah. this whole <laughs> this whole thing with the business fraud and, you know, like, right. it's not there's a lot. Guy. There's a lot to wrap up. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to get to. Yeah. Like I, it's, uh, yeah. When I was reading this, I did laugh. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta wrap this bad boy up. We got one page. We gotta get to everything. <laughs> well, maybe he tells him to learn his lesson. He couldn't add a page. <laughs> yeah, it's like right. It's can't, so, it so out of, I mean, and this is a hundred page giant. So there's a lot of stories in here. But was it the was it the Toth story that that really stuck with you? Is that the one that you go back to and say, yeah, this is why I love this issue so much? It is second place next to Manhunter. Manhunter blew me away. Ah, uh, I can't wait to and talk it stuck about at that. The very end. Yep, yeah. yep. It's a the, the maybe one of the greatest box backups. Uh, yeah. of all time and we'll definitely talk about it um shall yeah, we move the on rest to, of the, to, mm-hmm. i was just gonna say the rest of these stories in here are reprints right so the hundred page uh-huh. giant like it was it was a couple of originals and then the rest you know like this is a kirby and simon news boy legion reprint and then i think everything else other than the mm-hmm. manhunter is a reprint if yeah I'm i think you're total getting 17 new pages of material maybe yeah 
<laughs> but I mean, it's yep. weird to think about, you know, back, you know, pre-internet, like, where else would you, if you were a kid, like, you just got all of it at the same time. So it's not yep. like you have any personal, like, this Hawkman story, which is weird to think of now, because everything's so, like, sourced, and, like, this happened then, and then this happened then. It's like, this is just a Hawkman story, you know, that's been yeah. reprinted from something else. Like, well, I don't know where this, you know where this is coming from, but, yeah. uh, you know, very different. Where, way to where else are you going to read a, a Gardner Fox, Murphy Anderson story at that point? I did enjoy the elongated man fighting a con artist. That was, uh, yes. that was interesting. <laughs> well, I, I love yes. the elongated man is in it because Ralph Dibney is a detective, right? And so this mm-hmm. is detective comics. They're all, they're all kind of detective stories, right? Yeah. By the yeah, way, th- this was a bi-monthly comic at this period. I-, I think it must have been selling pretty poorly when Archie was given the reins. That's so crazy to think that a Batman comic Detective. was selling. Yeah. Right. Like the, the well, I'm sure Batman is still coming out, you know, at the same time. But yeah, Detective has been running since, what, 37? Is that when it, 37, 38? Right. Something like that, yeah. 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 The year Denny Carmine Infantino. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, lo- I always like the art on that elongated man story. I like how it's you know crazy and pushed. You you jumped over this incredible noiry black canary. Oh, oh yeah. it's yeah for sure. It's very gold. I I have a hard time with Golden Age, like the aesthetic of Golden Age comics. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just something I I I don't find charm in them most of the time. Um, you love but, exposition. No, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, talk about the Black Canary. I, it's The art is so bold and simple. Carmine, very young Carmine. And then one of my Mount Rushmore inkers, Frank Giacoya, finishing it when he was quite young too. It definitely does have, like, you know, the, the line work is so different than, uh, you know, anything... 20 years later it's it's yeah you, you know just so simple and uh it's so dark it is such a very noiry dark yeah uh i love the 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 fight scene she has with the guy and they get kidnapped and yeah it's a it's a cool it, it's so weird to kind of go back and read something you know, this is i think uh, was this 1947 yeah. no 1967 okay yeah so tom so clarify is, is this earth two black canary uh, I'm at this point, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but what, I was struck. Know, I heard a lecture too. once by a guy who um, I, I I'd never seen it broken down this way before. It blew my mind. So I had comics to a certain point. Um, most of them were detective stories, and then um, Julie Schwartz kind of helped usher in an era where they all became sci-fi stories. And uh, it's really clearly illustrated. All these reprints are, are just cop, cop and robber yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, second story men and burglars were like a much bigger deal back then. And you had <laughs> yeah. to constantly be concerned about <laughs> criminal Being robbed. And con, <laughs> yeah. con men. And, yeah, yeah, just constant yeah. all the time. It's always happening. And it's neat well, to see Carmine in Black Canary. Mm-hmm. Uh, in his like primitive early days, and then yeah. almost twenty years later, maybe that when he did the elongated man story, he's evolved yeah. quite a bit. 
this super sleek, you know, flash elongated man type like look to everything. It I is love. Like, um, there's a creepiness to his elongated man too. It's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah. yeah, it would. I always like how always bizarre it would be. Uh, we uh we had the pleasure of meeting Carmine at the New York Comic Con uh years and years ago, and it was awesome to see Tom be able to spend time talking to the creator of his favorite character, the Flash. Yeah. And I'll, I'll always remember how Carmine told you that um, he always drew the Flash like skinny because he's not he's not a muscle bound guy. He wanted him to be, you know, he wanted him to be a skinny character, and that's how he always drew him. And that so regular always, size guy. Yeah. Yeah. That always stuck with me as I, you know, see how people draw the flash. It's like, no, it's yeah. The guy, he's got a high metabolism, you know, he's, he's, he's a skinny guy and always loved, uh, you know, remembering that conversation that you guys had. Yeah. That's awesome. Wait, he was pretty uh, with it when you guys talked to him. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah he was like talking shit about people. Yeah, he was joke making yeah. jokes and <laughs> who what did he say uh when uh uh what's his name? The, oh the Marvel George, editor. Jim Shooter. Shooter. Yeah, Shooter. Shooter. Shooter what he said exactly. Came up but... to the table and 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 uh shook his hand or you know and said hey to Carmine, good to see you, and then he walked away and Carmine was like, Geez, did he get fat? I think it's funny. <laughs> what he ended up saying. <laughs> <laughs> she's like okay <laughs> that's, that's what we were doing we were doing some stuff we were doing some stuff for hero initiative and and we had i don't know how we had how we had conned our way into having carmine infantino come by the table and sit for like an hour to to sign books and whatnot but we just let tom and carmine sit there and we wanted to make a sitcom out of that by the time we were done. It's like Tom and Carmen. It, it was amazing. I forget uh, which uh, he, he, I forget who it was. We also like ragged on somebody else for like not buying the Heroes Initiative print. He's like, that guy, that guy could definitely afford to buy one of these. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, he I don't was, remember. He was sharp. When, when you get to, be, get to be at age where you just don't give a shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was there. He he had zero fucks to give. But I will, <laughs> it was awesome. I, I I will say one of the things I remember about that it stuck out to me is that like so many people came up and yeah. shook his hand. Like so many people in the industry just wanted to come and say hi to him and you know mm-hmm. and and pay kind of pay tribute to him. Even just the hour that he was sitting with us and nobody knew who we were. You know what I mean? Like he was just sitting yeah. at a, a podcaster That's table. Great. Yeah, it was pretty Speaking- cool. Speaking of shooter, have you guys had the Jim Shooter experience in the last decade or so? No, like he's I have kind not. of making the rounds. He will go to a con and he'll just sit up at the bar. And I went up and talked to him for an hour. He bought both my drinks. He's just completely charming. But there's a sense of, hey, I'm going to charm you up and buy you a couple drinks, and now my version of everything I'm going to tell you becomes gospel to both of us, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little. I, I can't yeah. guarantee it's revisionism, but there's a, you know, hey, here's my version of this history, and uh, that's going to be the one we'll go with. Yeah. Did he tell you that every comic should read as, like, the first issue? No, we didn't cover that. Well, I mean, to be to be fair, he was an editor-in-chief. He's just editing reality now. That's yeah. all. Yeah, right. The best hey. story was, uh, I would just throw out names. I, we talked about Frank Miller. We talked about Frank Robbins. And then I threw out, I said, hey, 
when I went up to uh, Marvel the first time, oh boy, I'm pretty sure it was Jack Abel, I think, yeah. was was kind of shambling around the office. And I asked somebody, what what's old uh, Jack Abel doing here? And they said, he's a proofreader now. And I, oh, interesting. So I asked Shooter, but I said, this guy was just kind of sitting out in the corner. He said, yeah, he'd had a, don't hold me to this. He'd had some massive, maybe a stroke, maybe something else. And he couldn't ink anymore, and so they, they found him in this other job. But Shooter said about one of my favorite people in comics, he said, Howard Chicken, I saw Howard Chicken save that man's life. I was like, what do you mean? He said, so he had this health thing, and he's laying in the hospital, and several of us are there. We get a visit, and Abel's just laying there. He's just depressed. He's uh Chicken bursts into the room. And says, oh, you old bastard, you couldn't hold a brush worth of shit anyway, so what difference does it make? And then he goes, you little Jew bastard, and they start going back and forth. <laughs> and pretty soon Abel was like, back to life. <laughs> so Jacob busted his balls back to life. That's awesome. That's awesome. We're doing our trade talk next week on the, the first six issues of American Flag. So oh, be, amazing. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of Chaken talk coming up. Good. He's... Love. Love Chaykin. He's kind of down on comics and his place in them these days, I sense, which is really a shame because he's just a freaking master. And I, I think he is appreciated more than he knows. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I think of by by people of, of a certain generation, a certain age, I, he's, there's, a, I mean, for a lot of people, a Rushmore guy as far yeah. as, you know, you know, we, we had Will Pfeiffer on last week and his, his first comic that he wanted to talk about was American flag number one. And it's like, well, we're doing that trade talk. So can you come back and, and we'll have you on oh, for yeah, that? Yeah. Can you pick something else? Um, because I mean, there's that, that series and a lot of the stuff that he did really influenced a lot of today's creators yeah. and in ways that I hope he's aware of. I went to my first Chicago Comic-Con. It would have been the summer of 83, I guess. And what a time. Um, Simonson's Thor was like maybe the first or second issue was out. Uh, American Flag was launching and that whole line. You know, there was uh, John Sable and there just so first much time. cool stuff happening. I remember standing there, Sienkiewicz had new paintings out. I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah, that was like the yeah. first comics era. That stuff was coming out of Chicago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, wasn't Azarillo like an early editor on some of that, or maybe a mid editor? I don't know I, that I've ever heard that. I, I think he's and don't quote me, I think he started out as an editor at First Comics. Hmm. Well, he said remember. it now, it's true. Well, I think that yeah, may uh, that that may be what okay, okay, shooter. <laughs> right, it's my revisionist, but I think that's what yeah. brought him from Cleveland to Chicago was that he got yeah. a job at First Comics. Interesting. That, yeah, it kind of sounds right, but I don't. Re- yeah, I don't remember exactly. Yeah. Um, Can I? Uh, yeah, I, I just had. I've had a page frozen on my screen for a while. That the Jerry Robinson Batman story about the vanishing village. Mm-hmm. Can you get page four up of that, Brian? Is that too much to ask? Uh, no. Never too much uh, to ask. Let's see. Is this correct? Yeah. Yep. So 
this is what this is how my brain worked even when I was nine. I, I had a thing about compositions. I just I'll never forget seeing that plane come in against that tree mm-hmm. and that oddly shaped panel and how striking it was. Just I I love things like that. And this comic was full of them. Things that just kind of stuck with me. And this has got to be what early. 40s? Yeah, I think you can see the date on the first page. 45. Okay. There's Bob Kane's name right next to the Batman. That lazy yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the interesting thing because I'm going through the book as I'm reading I'm like, oh, okay, Carmine Infantino and, you know, it's trying to see who yeah. the artists were and everything. And I look at this and I'm like, okay, there's fucking Bob Kane. I, I don't see who yeah. drew it. Who, you know. Yeah. It's Jerry Robinson and George Russo's according to sources online. Okay. Yeah, that is, yeah, Bob, you know. <laughs> Bob apparently had an uncle who was a lawyer, so he got him this sweetheart deal, and so he was, his name was on everything. Yep. Poor Bill yeah. Finger. Yeah. Do they still right. give out the Finger Award? I don't know. I think so. But he gets credit on the comics now, doesn't he? Uh, comics yes. and like I've seen the movie stuff. I know they and, put it, yeah. yeah. And you know, speaking of like credit in in movies, um, um, you and Phil did some. Was it you and Phil that did some Batman stuff that ended up in in one of the movies? Like some of like the Batcave stuff that that you got some at least some credit for. That would be an amazing story if I said yes. But not that I recall. Okay, it's now, yeah. it could have happened. I don't know. I forget. Yeah, no. I I, I thought I thought you got a little. This is back when um, uh, Paul Levitz was uh, running the show over at DC, and and he was always really good about making sure that he that cr- that yeah. creators got you know it, you know some amount of money from stuff that you know residuals. And and I thought maybe I may not have been you, but I thought it was you that told me that you got just a little check for something that that showed up in a movie that had been in a comic that you had worked on. I don't think so. Okay. Must be your other bald friend. Maybe, maybe. But yeah, but Levitz would do that kind of stuff, which was cool. Yeah. My my best Levitz experience was um, Phil and I worked on that 9-11 book that they put out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got the power call. I was just going to ink Phil's story for this thing. You know, I'm just a lowly inker. I'll do whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I got the call. Could you hold for Mr. Levitz? And then, you know, he came on. Personally asked me to be part of it. It was pretty cool. That's very cool. Oh. I love this page now that you've mentioned the composition. I guess I didn't I didn't really even I kind of glossed over it when I was going through it originally, but uh, I love the 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 first panel and the last panel of the you know they're the circles and uh-huh. it kind of you know it it's such a interesting thing because it kind of doesn't make sense, but it also does make sense. Yeah. Like it's you know you're kind of looking into that plane, you know, but uh, it's such an interesting little thing that I didn't even pick up on the first time yeah. I looked at it, but man, that, that stuff is really wild. I, I composition is one of those things that I just, am, I don't have a knack for. I, I, and, and it's something that I've tried to study, but I don't know. Do you think it's like, is that something that is taught or learned or is it more innate kind of in artists? Do you think is, is that just, I see artists like that just seem to have, an absolute knack for composition and it's almost 
And I just wonder, is it something that just they have, or is it something that is ingrained in them after years and years and years and years of, of, of or is it both? I don't know. I think it's more an instinct and early influences. Um, you can learn some principles, you know, don't put the horizon line in the middle of the picture, put it in the, you know, the, in the third and all that. But man, there's some guys who will always default to just putting the guy in the middle of the frame and calling it good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there are guys like Hester who go, mm, I'm not satisfied with this unless I can put something interesting and dynamic in the just design of the image itself. Yeah, and it's always fascinates me to to watch. I, I it's funny. I every time I think of Phil, I this was before I knew Phil, and I was at a comic convention. I was at Wizard. I think it was a Wizard World, if I remember correctly, here in Chicago. And um, he was doing a uh, uh, one of the classes. You know, they would have in the in the hall rooms. He was doing like um, it was like a composition class it was like talking about composition and i think i learned more in the hour that i sat there and listened to him talk about comics than i did in like 10 years before that of just like you know him him explaining why you know choices you know like yeah. choices are being made and it's just like wow it was pretty fascinating and like i said that was that was before we you know we ever got to know you guys and and had you on the show and that kind of thing uh he thinks about things a lot of people don't consider he thinks he got this from eisner i think he thinks about the design of the whole page um how it all reads together not just how the panels read individually he's yeah he's and a lot and of guys I, don't. I preach that to a lot of people if you start with your thumbnails this big you can do that more effectively you can design the whole page um, that was like because, his whole thing thumbnails 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 yeah, he was like yeah. driving that into the class mm -hmm. and just like thumb you know doing thumbnails do you think a lot of that started because these guys you know back if, you know if we're talking like ec you know days and and even leading up to that and and this sounds terrible but a lot of the guys that were in comics were guys that were trying to get their way into the ad industry and were they do you think that they were designing pages like they would design ads to like lead the viewer does there is there any connection there that and strips i mean the strips had to be uh, strips was really the the glamour way to make a living back in those days mm -hmm. if you had a popular strip you were living high on the hog i mean alex raymond died driving his brand new sports car around for outside of his mansion in connecticut those guys that was the life tom just said uh oh, fuck it i'm out <laughs> comics we're used now. to it parks will never shut up <laughs> so um well to so Toth that, in that medium you have to be very efficient and you mm -hmm. you can't mislead the reader ever yeah because you've got what like four or five panels yeah yeah toth wanted to do strips but then it when you know like he was getting into it it was kind of a bit of a downward you know trend for that yeah hey i wanted to point out a uh a, a um comment on our youtube uh lindsey one of our faithful listeners and viewers said uh he was in a play about bill finger here in chicago what's called hell? mark mark of cain at city lit theater i'm gonna have to come wow. and see that lindsey right yeah i want to see yeah that. right oh. absolutely you'll have to give us more details and i will i will make a trip to go see that for sure yeah interesting so uh, yeah. i on my 
my reader here, I've gone up to the Dr. Fate splash, which I think is really amazing. Uh, I did enjoy the Dr. Fate uh, a lot. Uh, I, I've always loved Dr. Fate. It's the I've coolest costume. It's so good. Yes. Right? Yes, it is. It's it's fantastic. The helmet and just the yeah. yeah I don't know what. Even though I, I remember, I, I was at a I was at a con and uh, Don. I was sitting over at Don Kramer's table and he's like, "Yep, Doctor Fate. It's my favorite headshot to draw." Easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was that time where they uh, like shortened his mask, like uh, yeah, like to give like oh, so you could see his mouth. Mask. Yeah, it was. Boo. No, boo, boo. Yeah, that's the coolest that. thing about it. No eyes, no mouth, just a golden helmet. Yeah, yeah Doctor Fate. Um, this is art by Howard Sherman. Yeah, uh, it's a name I barely know. I'm not really familiar with him. Really good yeah. stuff, though. Yeah. Uh, do we know who wrote it? Does it say? I didn't. No, no I don't know. You that's know what? So I found myself wondering. But if Archie had done it, he would have put the writers too. So I think those, I was just surprised that in the forties, they were listing the artists, especially like they even listed Frank Giacoy as an inker on one of them. I was surprised. Mm -hmm. by yeah. That. yeah. That is surprising. It yeah. is interesting. What's some of the other Giacoa work that you love? Cause I know that he's on your, on your, uh, your list of guys that you really look yeah. up to. So this is sacrilegious to a lot of people. Um, uh -oh. I like him better than Joe Sinnott because to me he's like, what if Joe Sinnott weren't as predictable? Mm -hmm. um, he's smooth, but he can also be chunky and rough. I think he's Kirby's best anchor. And to me, if you're the best anchor of the greatest comic artist who ever lived, then you, you belong like up way up there. Um, he's faithful, but he always brings it. He's like Giordano. He's faithful, but he always brings his own personality mm -hmm. in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Stuff is incredibly readable. I just think he's phenomenal. Um, I was going to say, I love, do you think oh, that the writer credit isn't in there? Because I know sometimes in the golden age comics, there was one writer, but when they, you know, like if they split up the stories, sometimes there was different artists per different like elements within it. So maybe, maybe, maybe like this Hawkman or not this Dr. Fate story was like the third story in, and no one bothered right. ever like maybe. put the writer on the page. So it is, or it could have been yeah, the right. The writer didn't want his name in it because <laughs> he was trying. Yeah. He was trying to get legitimate work yeah. in the ad industry. You know, <laughs> back back then. You know, that like was they, that's they, where all the non diplumes came in, man. That's right. all the Doctor yeah. Fate. Yeah. According to the according to the fan side, I found it's like DC database. Thing. Yeah, Gardner Fox wrote that one. He wrote the uh, Black Canary and the Hawkman. So he, he is heavily oh, okay. pumping it out. Pumping out those yeah. stories, floating heads, floating heads. If we need to explain something, just have like the heads floating around. How how did you describe Gardner Fox one time, Tom? It's that you could basically just rearrange all of the the word balloons to any character, and it didn't matter. Yeah, I mean, it was like if you took the Justice League and took what the Flash was saying and swapped it with what Batman was saying, like you wouldn't. It didn't matter. Like that wasn't really what he was. <laughs> That wasn't what he was going for in there. Was that? Uh, 
maybe snapper car you couldn't switch because you know he'd be using hip language that uh, the others would but yeah i mean there was no discernible difference between any of the characters but i mean like if you think of someone who you know like that's true of a golden age comics too like the justice society books like there's not a whole lot of like inner world to the characters because that just wasn't what those books were you know like they just weren't built around that element that you know eventually people wanted within their comics was like more inner world to these characters than like the like here's the story here's this story here you know like the very like pump it out like this dr fate story six pages long all right next one you know like getting them out like that it does Arlen have Olson a uh, claim that uh, um, L. Ron Hubbard, before he created a religion, <laughs> had created the best way to make money as a as a science fiction slash speculative fiction writer in New York. He found a kind of paper that was on like a spindle, and so he would just oh, yeah. feed it down from a roll into his typewriter, so he didn't have to change pages. So he could crank them out better. He could crank yeah. them out faster and get more. Just pump it out. More of those 10-cents-a-word <laughs> stories done, yeah. Just roll it up Maybe. like a scroll when you need <laughs> to send it. <laughs> done. What, so, Andy, whenever you got this, was part of the, the, the allure, part of the reason that it stuck around, was this kind of like anthology format where you got yeah. so many different stories by so many different artists yeah, I think I love, part of me loved, even though I didn't really understand how comics were made, part of me loved just so many different artistic styles represented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's quite a variance, you know. Um, yeah, you just got, got, I mean, it did cost more, it was 65 cents, I think. Um, but God, you got so much for your money. It's just right. amazing. And then you get the Manhunter, and it's like, oh, oh. like. Yeah, we should oh probably yeah, we should probably move on and talk about everything that. getting mixed it's, together, I mean, and then like you know you're going through sort of this, you know, golden age, silver age, you know, even you know, Toth, you know, isn't necessarily of those, but like is like of a certain style, and then Manhunter at the end, and it's like ah, like we're like very like shocking in a good way of like oh. This is like yep. jumping off the page. I got to tell both Archie and Walt what this story meant to me. Um, I really, I'm grateful for that. It's, it just, I, I could almost draw any panel of this comic out from memory. I just love it. I've stared at it <laughs> wow. so much. And I had to wait. Uh, you know, I had this one. It, back in those days, it wasn't, e- even if I wanted to, it wasn't easy to just go find the next issue. Yeah, no. 7-Eleven wouldn't have it or, you know. So I had to wait four or five years to read the chapters before and after this. Yeah, this is chapter six. <laughs> I'm still totally captivated. In the days where you had to run around to all of the, the drug stores to try and fill in issues and that kind of yep. stuff. Yeah. yeah. it's Is this, I mean, it's definitely in the list of like greatest backup stories of all time. Yeah. And it's... It it, finished, it was the lead in the next issue. This is the penultimate chapter. The next one is the lead story, and it has Batman in it. Um, oh, that's right. So it's not just a I – I guess I just count. I think this is actually nine pages. It's not just a nine-pager. 
But yeah, I think Archie had total freedom. Like the back of a bi-monthly, it's not selling. What the hell? Yeah, go ahead. Hire that kid nobody's ever heard of. Fine. What was Simon's? What was Simonson doing before this? I mean, is this? I think he, his only credits were like a couple of war stories on the anthology books mm-hmm. that they started everybody on because it was like low risk. So this kind of puts him on the map, huh? I think so. Yeah. Oh, and it's just—I mean, even then, I mean, as early as this work is, I mean, it's so, so Simonson. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's beautiful it's already. Such- it's such an evolution too. I mean, you, like you said, Tom, like looking through this book and you're looking at, you know, stuff from the forties, stuff from the sixties, and then even, you know, the Toth stuff, which is obviously the most modern stuff in the book, but it's his style is closer, probably the stuff before it than sure. this. And then this comes along. It's like, Whoa, what the hell? What am I looking at? I mean, even I look at like in the first, you know, this panel here of of manhunter's eyes mm-hmm. and just the way that the mask is sort of like you know you can see that how the mask is it doesn't fit like skin tight mm-hmm. necessarily yeah. like there's mm-hmm. a little bit like who does that in a, at that yeah. point i mean i guess like adams probably did that to some degree i mean there's there's definitely right. some yeah. some adams influence in this but man it's just so different than than anything else in this book I remember I looking it. up how old Walt was at the time. Mm-hmm. So give me a second here. I, I remember I love- reading this as a kid and loving the costume, which is to this day ridiculous. Oh, it's a dumb <laughs> costume. I mean, it's a dumb idea that this guy who's like, you know, tracking people down and is like this, like, you know, Man. subterfuge is some element is also wearing this dumb costume. <laughs> it's just like you know the inherent tension of like i guess this guy's wearing this outfit but he's also sneaking around right. <laughs> this like plumed white yeah. you know, shoulder yeah, exactly, pad you know, thing running around with giant scars on it I never really understood the leg things, but I always loved yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's just like so impractical, but also just like, oh, okay, I guess, yeah, they look cool. Let's roll with it. I mean, good choice yeah. by Manhunter to, you know, just decide, like, I, this is actually a pretty sick outfit. I'm going to wear this even if uh, even if I get caught. So it goes- if I do my math right, Walt is about 27 when he's doing this story. Wow, nice. And I, I've heard, I can't prove it because it's not in the databasing that I found. I think Klaus Jansen colored this. Oh, oh wow. I believe so. He's a great colors. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think the costume just reflects how great he is at sneaking oh, around. Yeah. Like, he can, yeah. he doesn't, he, he flaunts it. Yeah. Like, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to wear all black. That'd be too easy. Give me your dumbest, <laughs> give me possibly your dumbest looking outfit. <laughs> and I shall wait. I think I'm looking at this again and thinking it really influenced me as an artist, but can I say how it affected my inking? I don't really know for sure. But when I started writing, all these tricks that Archie and Walt did were really stuck in the back of my head. Really? All the efficient use of space, all, just masterful. I don't know anybody, but anybody Eisner has really done short stories as well as this stuff. 
this panel here at the bottom right is or uh, these panels yeah. this group of panels the sort of flashback That's... moment I, it's just i love that so much the, using the train smoke to sort of yeah break up that is so cool and so well done uh and then the coloring is awesome too or it just you know gives you that almost sepia kind of tone to it so cool they turned that guy from villain to a pitiful character in those i don't know eight panels starting in the with the spotlight one Mm -hmm. yeah archie is that efficiently able to make you kind of feel bad when that poor bastard gets shot there so good yeah archie goodwin is is and we've mentioned a few times on the show in the past he's he's the one guy that whenever you talk to creators of that era and you know never ask you know it's like who was a dick um we would ask you know who did you love working with and archie goodwin comes up more than any other writer or editor in comics he was the best i was going to to dc i moved there and Moved to Philly in 91, went to D.C. probably the end of 91 for the first time, took the train up to New York. And over the next several years, I'd see Archie there one time, and he'd be looking fine. Then the next time, he'd be bald because of chemo, and then he wouldn't be there the next time, and then he'd be back. So often, he fought that for several years. So I didn't really know him in his prime. But like I said, I got to have a few meals with him. He was just a delightful man. Yeah. And everybody respected Archie. It's like John Byrne will throw shade on anyone. We yeah. asked him that question. He's like, oh, Archie Goodwin. He's the right. saint. Yeah. Yeah. I went so, out to, I was, I was at a dinner, at a, a con dinner in Philadelphia with Archie once. And I was young and stupid. I ordered whatever I wanted. You know, I ordered uh, jalapeno poppers for a starter. <laughs> and Archie never heard of such a thing. He said, what is that? I said, oh, it's great. It's a jalapeno with cheese and then they fry the whole thing and he, his head went back and he just laughed and laughed and he said oh my god that's everything my doctor said i can't have in one neat little <laughs> so i was just reading the wikipedia page for walt simonson because i was curious on oh yeah um but it said at one point uh after he came to new york he traveled to new york from tennessee in 1972 he had a portfolio of uh, Star Slammers. He was drawing the, his own graphic oh, yeah. novel stars. And then he met with um, uh, some of the, uh, he met with Archie Goodwin and, and ended up getting work. Um, but at one point he was living in, a, in the same Queens apartment building with Al Milgram, Howard Chankin, and Bernie Wrightson. And they would just all hang I've out together. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> God damn. Like that's, one night uh, in Miami for for comic book movies, <laughs> right? Uh, that's pretty amazing. But um, yeah, he had done uh, his first professional published comic book work was illustrating Len Wein's story Cyr Cyrano's Army, which appeared in DC's Weird War Tales number ten. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, nineteen seventy three. And that was cover dated uh, about a year before this. Well, yeah, less, yeah. a little less. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. And then he did, uh, he did some illustrations, and then the next thing he did was this Manhunter story. Yeah. My favorite page is yeah. either the next one or the one after, where he's got his hands up and the ninjas jumping at him. Nah, next page. 
That, yep, wait, go back, sorry. The kind of close yeah. up. Because it's like yeah. a little bit awkward, but it's also like cool at the same time. Like there's something about it that's just like, it's kind of like, uh, maybe not quite there, but then it's also like, right. I don't know if you ever see hands, right? Like the same thing with the mask, right? Where you see like a character's like hands look like hands, like yeah. doing hand stuff. And his rendering is really pretty primitive. He's not, he's not a smooth inker. Yeah. And it's like, but it's really effective. And it's like, oh. This like I don't know. You just don't see that. You don't see like like yeah. the way that you were talking about Sal with the mask kind of like doesn't lay against his face perfectly flat. Like it's like oh yeah, like yeah. you don't see that. You don't see someone draw hands like that in a in a superhero yeah. comic. Has he? Always, I think the has the he biggest difference to me. Stuff? Sorry. Uh, Did you ask Matt to make his own stuff? Yeah. Has he always inked his own stuff? I think almost always. You know, there's the famous crossover that Terry did. Uh, the X-Men. Um, Teen Titans. Teen Titans thing. But yeah, usually him. And another thing about Walt, he never sold anything. So he's got every page of this in his home. And when Scott Dunbeer wants to do a treasury edition, he goes over the scanner and spends a day. And Walt never got rid of anything. That's wow. awesome. Good for him. Only way to get Walt stuff is if somebody else did ink it and then that guy got a portion and so on. And I'm sure those aren't sold after. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I uh I think to me looking at it, it's like the biggest difference I see in like his art from here and then what you know you we would see later in, in his work is like the shapes. You know, like he, he's not uh He's not necessarily as confident with his shapes yet, mm -hmm. but everything else is there, right? Like, in the, and that seems like that's the big difference to me. Brian, but, could, you, could you go to the page before? Yeah. There's another, like the Batman crawling out of the uh, water tower. The three panels at the end there. It's such a beautiful sequential little moment, mm -hmm. moment, moment thing that I would, when that chain goes slack, I love that. <laughs> and it was the and, era of Chinese throwing stars, mm -hmm. which, mm -hmm. as a show, we all love. That and nunchucks. <laughs> yeah, I always dug the way he drew uh, Manhunters. What, that has a name. That weapon oh, that yeah. he pulls out of his boot. I don't know. The way it's getting oh. chewed by the chain is so cool. King, King. Uh, it's something with a K. Yeah, I think you're right, and it's like uh, embarrassing that we're both King, like Kingdom. I know what this ninja Musha or something like that. <laughs> I know what this ninja it was on an episode is. of Forged in Fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't. I should not know that. There's no. Yeah. There's no real reason why I would know what, it's what it is. Burned into our minds something. from looking at like cattle ninja catalogs. Like, oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I do need a chain with a weighted star at the end. Uh. <laughs> I believe it was also prominently featured uh, in the, uh, I believe, in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video game, the arcade game, some of the bad guys had them. It's where oh, I nice. remember yeah. uh, those from. And that's where I know the name. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's like off the top of my head is like what I'm thinking. Like, how do I know what those are called? <laughs> It is a miracle this, that we are not all either dead or disfigured 
because we could buy this crap when we were 12 years old. A, ma- a Manrique chain. Man- I think. Well, that's the one with the weight mm. on the end of it. Is a Manrique yeah. What's the what's chain. the 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 wow? Prong, there's a whole the prong knife in his boot, though. Yeah. Uh, the prong knife. I'd have to see it. I don't. I don't remember. What is where is it's the one getting at? chewed up by the chain? In yeah. That one page. Uh, that clang. Oh, clang. I don't know if that's a real one or not. That might be, a, might be a, my, might a Walt be a Simonson comic. special. Yeah, that might be a Walt Simonson invention. Yeah. I'm not sure about yeah. that one. It's like, excuse me, yeah, uh, what were you trying to draw there? Because I know what a Mariki yeah. you know, chain looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen that uh, bladed weapon. It, it might be. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> Uh. <laughs> so I had this my I had this story burned into my brain. Later I would go on to get all the Manhunter stories. It's probably the comic I own the most editions of. I probably have five different printings of it, mm-hmm. including the original comics. And then all the way up to one that came out recently, maybe a year or two ago. Yeah, you got the, the gold the gold foil trade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My favorite one is one from back in the day that's was printed in black and white. Um I love that thing. Oh, cool. So anyway, I I revered these guys. My first trip to DC offices, I went with Mike Manley, and I ended up hanging out in Mike Carlin's office. He was thinking about giving me work. He was pretty supportive. In those days, you could just go and you'd hang out. And people did it all the time. I would always go up there and see, oh, there's Jimmy Palmiotti hanging out, bumming lunch again, hanging out with uh, in the Marvel offices. The DC guys would always take you out for lunch. It was an excuse for them to pull out the company credit card. <laughs> um, so I'm sitting in Carlin's office and we've arrived after lunch and then Manley joins me and we're sitting there together. And so Carlin then took us all out to dinner and guess who came with? Simonson. Oh, cool. Because I'm oh. sitting in, in Carlin's office and I, you're not as old as me, so you may not remember this. There was a year where DC advertised two big Superman specials. One was Simonson's Superman annual number, whatever. The other was a special was going to be drawn by Michael Golden. Oh, and cool. it never came out because Golden never finished it. Shocking. He <laughs> did draw 15, 20 pages of it. And Carlin let me make copies of those pages that day. And I still have those copies. So I'm sitting there and I had the, I knew the issue that had never come out from both those. It had been like two years since the ad. And Simonson comes in in front of me. And hands Mike the final pages of that annual. And I'm just sitting there like, oh my God, that's Walt Friedman's Simonson. You just handed Mike this comic I've been waiting for. This is unreal. And then Mike says, hey, could you go down to production? And he hands him back a page he had from previous visits and fix this. So I'm looking at Simonson like he's a god. And Carlin hands him a page and says, you drew six fingers on Superman on this panel. Could you go down to production and finish it? I was like, oh, he's human too. It <laughs> <laughs> happens to everyone. It's a panel of Superman like doing this with his glass. And yeah, sure enough, six fingers. So he went out of production with some white out. And, took it. <laughs> and then went out to dinner. And I got to tell Walt how much this comic meant to me. What was that, what was that like? Like, what was his response to that or how... You know, uh, I mean, it's got to be kind of an odd thing, but it's something that, you know, you've probably had to happen to you. Like fans. I I think he made a joke about how old he was or something. You know, he was he was very gracious. But uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know a better way to say it than to tell somebody your work means a lot to me. Um, right. Or has been very important to me, but there, you know, it's almost so, it's so kind that it's hard to react to except to say, well, thank you very much. You know, what, what can you say? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, how do you respond to something like that? It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, I would think, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's incredibly, uh, you know, rewarding, but it's also like uncomfortable in a way because. Yeah. You know, I realized I was like, kind of being a dick about something like that because people come up to Phil and I and say, you guys are our green arrow artists. And I knew in my brain that that's stupid because Neil Adams existed. <laughs> and I used to say that. Yeah. Well, and then I realized, oh, I'm kind of being a dick. They yeah. they probably were looking forward to telling me that. I shouldn't denigrate that opinion by bringing. I should just say hey, that means a lot to me. Thank you very much. So that's what I do now. Nice. Yeah. Right. I, well, uh, my Howard Ch- going back to Howard Chankin, Like I had, I was a Howard Chankin fan since American Flag. You know that book came out and and blew my mind, and I I've worshipped everything Howard's done, um, and got the chance to meet him at a con, and and I grabbed a uh, a copy of like the they had just come out with like the hard you know hardcover edition of American Flag, and so I bought one at the convention and went up and and I was terrified because of all the stories I had heard about Howard. I was just like, oh, I really don't want this to suck. I really. You know, I like I, I love this guy's work so much. He means, you know, his work means so much to me. I really, really don't want this to be bad. And thankfully, it was amazing. Like he yeah. he was just so awesome and just so down to earth. And we just talked about TV shows for like an hour. And he was hilarious and 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 gracious and did a sketch, nice. did a, a, you know, a Rick Flagg sketch for me in the book. And it was just like the best meeting ever. But there was, you know, it was, it, it's like, how, you know, I'm a grown man. I, at that point, I'm like you know, I was probably 35 or 40 years old. And I'm like, you know, it's a weird thing to walk up to another grown man and just like bear your soul in a weird, you know, like, you know how, the, you know what this meant to me, but yeah, he was, he was amazing. It was one of those moments of like, whoo, thank, cause that could have, you know, yeah. Yeah, gone yeah. really badly and, and ruined I love me. him. And I, I think he wouldn't mind him, me saying that we're friends now. And we always look forward to having dinner and I love the man. But the first time I met him, he would never remember. And I, I don't, I, I've never told him this. First time I met him, I took a shadow poster from when he shadow run. I knew a store owner and I got the poster as well. This big folded into quarters, you know. And I handed him a gold marker and said, Could you sign this? And in those days, the gold markers were the, you the shook them and then the yeah. gel came out. And I handed him the marker and he said, You want me to sign it in this gold snot? And I said, I thought it would look good on the. He said, I'm on this side of the table. It's gold snot. <laughs> I'm like, yes, but I, and then he did. He busted my balls a little bit. Then he did sign it. So that was my first Howard encounter. I got a oh, little Lord. of the, That's the Howard experience. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We well, were gonna Andy, have Howard. I, 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 mm-hmm. I. Sorry, Chris. I keep cutting you off trying to end <laughs> the show. But, uh, keep talking about Howard Chaken. Like next week, we're not going to get enough of this. Oh, right. uh, I was, I, we were going to have him on the show. I had, I had mm-hmm. reached out to him and wanted to get him on the show. And, you know, at first he was pretty gracious about it, but then it was like, you know, we record the show at night and, and he's in California. And so it would be like 
you know, by the time we record the show, it'd be like 11 o'clock or something his time. And he, you know, we went back and forth trying to find a time. And finally he's like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do this. And he's just sort of like ended the conversation <laughs> after a few emails. I'm like, fair enough. Fair enough. That's okay, Howard. Yeah. <laughs> one day, one day we'll do that like two o'clock in the afternoon recording. <laughs> But there you go. Yeah. I've been to his place. We we uh we both collect illustration art. So um like I own a Noel Sickles that hangs in my hallway that he lusts after and he owns a lot of faucets and stuff that I so yeah, I've been there and had the art tour. It's quite an experience. That's one of my favorite experiences was uh getting to uh to see some of, of your original art. Oh cool. Uh, yeah. It's yeah, it's some of the you know, like the uh Garcia Lopez, um, you have an Aquaman character. I do from the style guide. Yeah, which is awesome. And many, many other amazing yeah. things. Like you've got the my favorite page that you uh, own is out of um, uh, Born Again, the Mezzico yeah. page. Maybe don't talk about it. It's gotten so valuable that I'm, that I'm scared to talk about it. Oh, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> the one what that you sold. Again? <laughs> a lesser page sold recently in auction, and I was like, oh, shit. Cynthia, do I should this be in the house? What do we <laughs> put it in the vault? Um, Hope it's insured. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, Andy, we we could talk to you for hours and hours, and we have before. Um, what I will say is that this is an influential comic. Uh, for you, that doesn't mean it's the only comic that ever influenced you. And that's my roundabout way of saying we want to have you back at some point to talk about another awesome comic because you are always welcome with us. You're uh, one of our favorite people, you know, not just in the industry, but just in general. And it's always awesome to uh, to chit chat with you, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Yep. All right, um, folks, uh, check out uh, our Patreon at patreon.com uh, slash around comics. Uh, next week, we have trade talks. Uh, we're going to be talking about the first six issues of American Flag. We're going to have Will Pfeiffer back uh, because he really loves that book, and we love talking with Will. If you want to uh, hear more about uh, Will and me and Sal, check out Film Force 5, our movie podcast, which... Uh, what what did I see today, Sal? Uh, it's the uh, top five rock documentaries coming out this week. Uh, that'll be out. Uh, yeah, that'll be out tomorrow. Actually, the top five rock docs. Oh, I did yeah. want to uh, real quickly. I had um, oh, if I can find it really quick before we end, I did want to mention. Oh crap! I gotta find it. Sorry. Well, while, while, while Sal is looking for that, yeah. Andy, um, is there anything that you've got going on that you want to um, talk about uh, professionally? No, I'm boring. I'm, I'm kind of, I promised myself when Extraction came out that I would chase Hollywood money for a while. Mm -hmm. So I'm working on spec screenplays and such. Phil and I did a thing with Kevin Smith. Kev, I've kind of retired from making. Mm -hmm. Kevin asked for us on his uh, Tales of the Quick Stop book that he's doing at Dark Horse. So we did do one of those that came out a little while. That's cool. Yeah, when Kevin Smith asks, you're like, okay, I guess I'll link something. Yeah, I owe that man a lot. So, yeah, I would do it for him. <laughs> um, I just wanted to mention uh, one of our listeners, John Fitter, had messaged us about our episode with Will on Daredevil 181. He said, great episode on Daredevil 181. My introduction to Frank Miller was Daredevil 172, which I bought on a whim as a nine-year-old from Arnold's Drug uh, Store in suburban Detroit in the spring of 1981. <laughs> 
I had never seen anything like it and became an instant fan. It also felt subversive, and I de uh, uh, definitely uh, hit it at the bottom of my stack of comics so my mom wouldn't find it. <laughs> so another another someone else in uh influenced by uh daredevil but yeah daredevil was it's true and isn't it isn't it cool that frank miller was doing a mainstream marvel comic and somehow it felt salacious you know no, like, I mean, oh my God, this, yeah. yeah absolutely that's what well, that was that electra the electra assassin stuff it's just like oh my parents would never <laughs> approve of this ever ever <laughs> All right. Anybody else have anything? Nope. We're all Thanks good. Andy, thank you so much, buddy. Uh, like I said, we'll be back next week uh, talking American flag. So read up on those uh, six issues. Then uh, we've got more guests uh, that we're lining up for under the influence. Let us know how you like the the new little segment. We, uh, uh, we're excited about it. Uh, shoot us a message on any of the socials or info at aroundcomics.com. Really uh, uh, would love to have your feedback. We'll be back next week. American flag. In the meantime. In between time. We'll be everywhere in. And around comics. And stuff. And stuff. And stuff.